Welcome back to Many Windows, the podcast about education for everyone who cares about education. My name is John Cassie, and I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend and co-host, Jennifer McGlemory. Jennifer, it's been a little while since we recorded an episode. It has. We've been trying to record this final episode to the season for, I feel like, months. Months. (laughs) It's just an indication of where our lives are, right? Exactly, exactly. Dear dear listeners, we we have been talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> but we just haven't been able to get uh, the bandwidth with the just the, the reality of being an educator in the end of 2021, recording this right at the beginning of 2022, is that uh, you, you go home and there isn't any time to have a, uh, you know, the thoughtful conversations we like to have about deep issues because we're, 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 we're putting out fires. Right. Or going to bed. Or going to bed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Energy. For, sure. for me, it's energy. Man. God bless. Yeah. Somebody yeah. sent me this meme, or I don't know. Yeah. A meme at uh on New Year's Day. And I you I put this up at my faculty meeting yesterday. Right. And so imagine if you will, this image of this huge tidal wave coming up, and there's a little person on the beach standing there facing the tidal wave, uh, standing on the beach. So underneath the little person there looking up at this giant tidal wave, it says me still processing 2021. And then the tidal wave says 2022. (laughs) I put that up to my teachers and I was like, is this how you're feeling? Because this appropriately describes how I am feeling after day two of returning back to school in 2022. Right, right. Yeah, I'm 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 laughing so as not to cry, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That's and, what the tidal wave is. It's educators' tears. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I'm I'm you know grateful to colleagues and families in my in my school for being so uh, so willing to work with us mm. to make coming back and staying healthy the top priority, right? We want yeah. both. And that means that sometimes we have to flex in the moment in ways that a smaller school can, and maybe a larger schools maybe might struggle a little bit or larger school districts, maybe. I'm not really sure. But Well, and I have to say, I think I have received more positive emails in the last year than I ever had. And it's just people quickly sending me a couple lines, parents sending me a couple lines that are, that say, thank you. We appreciate you. Thank right. you for all you're doing. We know your this work is hard right now. We really appreciate you. And gosh, yep. that means so much when people take the time to just shoot that quick little Absolutely. email, right? So that's like, just, I've gotten a couple of those already this, this first week back and it just about moves me to tears. Um, that people take the time and think to do that and just send it. So yeah. yeah, Anyone out there who who's listening to this and can shoot a quick three sentence email or text to somebody that you appreciate, you know, they're working hard, do that now because it sure does. It's really the only thing like we can't, there's nothing we can do about this situation we're in. We're just all working our hardest and we don't, you know, it's unrealistic to think we're going to get huge pay raises or bonuses for this, 
Right. Uh, and we know that, right? We went into public education. We went into education yeah. in general, knowing it's not to get rich. So right. that's where the riches are, is those little short emails for me. For sure. For sure. Um, so, so as we, uh, you know, as we come to the end of the, the season, we've taken a, a, a pretty significant journey through the, the question of representation in curricula, representation in reading, and, and we've been, you know, kind of all, all over the, all over the question, right? And we want to, we want to end with a couple of books that we want you to, to think about, and to try to contextualize the question, right? How do you, as an educator, go about doing this in a way that that's going to get your kids what they need, right? Mm -hmm. Because that may not always be the easiest political thing in the world to do. Mm -hmm. It may not always be the most popular thing, but, uh, you know, we have to sometimes make, make choices that, that are hard. And I think as a teacher, once you've made that decision that you want to diversify your readings as an English teacher, or as a social studies teacher, you want to bring in other sources, you want to bring in other voices, right. all these things we've been talking about. As soon as you do that, then you've, you are basically opening up yourself and your classroom for discussion, right? right. Isn't that really the purpose? You're not going to sign a book and say, just go home and read it. I hope you liked that. Yeah. The end. Uh, and so as you start to read some of the books that we've suggested and maybe read them with a class or in, um, in student book clubs, things like that, you are going to find yourself in the middle of some difficult questions. So that's, uh, that's another thing we want to talk a little bit about today is resources for you as you navigate those waters. Right. So right. it's going to require you, there's, there's a couple of great books out there that if you just, they're almost like manuals for doing this work. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, but so the first thing you got to do is you've got to read, you've got to get yourself prepared for this. Um, and, and also just know that you will make mistakes, but as long as you're kind of open and own those mistakes, I think that's the number one thing that you can do in your classroom. Yep. Um, I, I had a conversation with a teacher recently about this. She was, she's, She's a seventh grade English teacher and she, we had cut roll of thunder, hear my cry from our right. seventh grade curriculum, right? At the beginning of this, uh, maybe it was even last year, we cut it. That was a mainstay of what she taught. It, I, I was a seventh grade English teacher. I taught it as well. And it took up probably two months getting through this really meaty book as well right. as giving context for it, right? So now she's got this gaping hole, like, what am I going to fill it with? Yeah, right, and right. Every, Right. All of, all of these books on our core novel list have been cut or are problematic. And so she's like, I know I'm going to I found a book in our book room that we've got a bunch of copies of. And it was um, Call of the Wild. And I think it was coupled with some other book. or uh, So I'm not sure. Which Jack London. Yeah. Yeah. White Fang. Yes, that's it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. OK. 
So I don't know which of the two it was because they're both together in this book. Yeah. So they're going through, they're almost done with this book. There's only like seven chapters. It's a short book, right? Yeah. Like novella. Yeah. It's my too. So they get to like, it's literally the last chapter. She's reading it out loud in class as she's been doing. And they describe a plant that has the N-word in it. The name of the plant oh, starts no. with the N-word. And like out of the blue, out of the blue. And so she comes to me after this period. She was like, I read it out loud. Uh, then I didn't know what to do. And uh, now what do I do? You know, so we sat down and kind of brainstormed what, what should she do with the rest of her classes? Right. Um, to her credit, she owned it in the moment. And she was like, oh my gosh, I didn't notice this. I'm so sorry. We know we should never say this word out loud. You know, that, that we've been talking right. about this. She was in her rhythm. Oh right? yeah. She's just doing outside, uh, out loud reading. Yeah. Nothing, uh, you know how, nothing to see here. Your brain just sometimes like disconnects and particularly as a teacher, part of your brain is always scanning the room to see what the kids are doing. Always. Right. So, you know, part of your brain power is doing that. And the other wrote part of your brain is just reading the words on the page. And so she was mortified. Oh yeah. And so then she comes in she's like, what do I do? I was like, well, can you, can you just give them like the cliff notes for the last chapter or two and tell them, you know, tell them that you're running out of time. So just read this. She's like, there's literally like three or there's only a few pages left. The kids are going to be like, what do you mean? We can't read these few pages. We have to read these cliff notes. I was like, okay, all right. Um, let me try again. <laughs> How about just have them read it silently? I mean, like we were just like really struggling yeah. to figure out yeah. what to do after this. And what ended up happening was, she had conversations with her classes. She went back the next day, particularly with that first class that she read it out loud. And right. she said, we got to talk more about this. Um, I've been feeling so bad about it. Uh, and, you know, and kids had some really great questions and, and it was, it turned into probably a really great learning experience for everybody. She, um, but she wasn't ready for it, of course. That wasn't right. what she was planning to do. Right, right. I mean, it's a reminder a bit of the uh, the episode this season with Erin McNellis, where she was talking about the fact that when reading Huck Finn and other books that have this kind of language, right, in order to read them effectively in class, you have to prime the pump, mm -hmm. right? And what your teacher didn't, didn't catch was oh, I'm going to need to prime the pump here, right? I'm yeah. going to need to tell them it's coming. Yep. We're not going to read it out loud, mm -hmm. right? It's in the book. So what the heck is that about? Yeah. Right? You can talk about that as an artifact of its time, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then, you know, you kind of, you, you know, you, 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 move, you move through it, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't read it out loud. And right? I'm just, yeah, it's just, in hindsight, almost funny that here she is, she's trying to pick a book that she doesn't have to worry about running into right. any of these problems. Right. Right. Jack right. London. And right. boop, no, there it is. Right. There it is. Right. A sign of the times. 
And okay. she did, that's just what you're talking about is what she had to do after the fact. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, those are the things you're going to make mistakes. You're going to stumble into things and you just have to kind of own it and, and acknowledge it. I think that's the most important thing. And have the discussions and be vulnerable. Sometimes you have to be vulnerable in your class. Sure. So that's the hardest thing to do as a teacher. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not easy to do as a curriculum developer either because you realize you're coming into the question of your curriculum development work from your own perspectives and, and you know, upbringing and background. And that's going gonna, gonna to lead to giving your students if you focus too much on your own experience, too narrow uh, a foundation to build their own perspective on, which ultimately is what you should care about. It's not about what you want. It's about what capacities you're giving the kids in your classroom to build their own, uh, to build their own lives, right? You know, yeah. a, a, weird, a weird aside. Right. Um, have you watched Cobra Kai? Well, I watched the first two seasons. I haven't watched, or I haven't watched, I guess I've watched three. Is this the fourth one that just Yeah, came the fourth out? one just dropped. Okay. Okay. I haven't and, seen that one yet. Okay. Well, uh, you know, there's a, there's a conflict in the fourth season, basically between multiple styles and philosophies, basically. Mm. Okay. And uh, the, the young people increasingly push back on their, on their adults by saying, um, I, I need to find my own path, hmm. right? And of course, uh, you know, what's great about this show, I think, is that the narrative of the adult stories and the narrative of the kids' stories are both sort of equally interesting, uh-huh. right? Uh, but there's, there's, there's pushback against, uh, against the adults' wisdom that is channeled too narrowly mm. right mm-hmm. and i think that's um you know if you want to get a sense of what this looks like in pop culture cobra kai season four is basically what jennifer's talking about that's so interesting yeah 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 um so uh, we, we had kind of an interesting um thing that happened with our social studies department from and our department, I'm talking about district-wide. Oh, I see. Grade through 12th grade, the collective oh, group. Wow. Okay. Um, so the board had first, our board had had uh, taken some of our novels off of the core novelists for English, but now they were looking at how to uh, expand some of those ideas across. How does it relate to social studies? Sure. So, Move it from one right? to the other. So in social studies, uh, they're, they're using a lot of primary sources, mm-hmm. right? So the board kind of initially came down really hard and said, no, you know, there, you can't use the N-word in class at all, which means you can't show a video that has the N-word in it. You can't, they were going to say you can't use censored work. You can't, all these kind of things. And the social studies department pushed back and said, these are primary sources from a certain time. Yeah. Just what you're talking about, John, about let us lay the context and let us use, you know, make these teachable moments. But there are so many powerful, if you think about videos from the civil rights movement, the signs that people right. were holding up. Right. 
have some inappropriate language on it. Be- and it's language that we would not use now. Right. The but fact that also, it was, yeah. Even the Black Lives Matter movement, right? Any kind of protest you see, you, you often see people trying to take back that language or use that inflammatory yep. language in a certain way, like really yep. intentionally. Yep. And so there are reasons for it. And so we can't really throw out the baby with the bathwater What is what we came up with when it comes to social studies, their social science and history, that there are some really relevant, important slave narratives are used in eighth grade history. And then again, of course, in high school. Yep. And, and then expand that to the Holocaust and videos about the Holocaust that sets up some of the prejudice against Jewish people and the Jewish faith, right? You're going to see that all over Uh, our own history in California and across this nation of, of excluding all different, you know, the, the Japanese and uh, the Asian Americans here in California with the internment camps and just like what what they went through, right? You, if you really want to show those primary sources, you're going to run into some uncomfortable language. Yep. And if you choose not to use them, you've given students no capacity to do the work that is the bone basic work of the historian. Yeah. Couldn't be easier to understand what the historian's role is. Take these documents and try to make sense of a story. Right. That's why I, 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 I usually say, well, you want to, you want to take every source as being potentially suspect because it's going to have its perspective, right? I don't generally use the word bias very often because uh, what I want students to understand is that texts can be written in good faith and still be totally wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And they can be written in bad faith and be cynically wrong. Right, and those are those are different things. Okay, um, Jack London uh, may not ever use that word in his work ever again. He was describing a natural phenomenon that had a word that that was labeled in a way that we wouldn't we wouldn't do it now, but was routine in nineteen twenty yeah. or whenever he's writing. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I am. Um, uh, I read a book a couple of days ago on the, uh, graphic on graphic arts. It was about menu design. Huh. Okay, it's just an interesting thing, right? And flat out racist menus, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, Chinese, uh, African American, etc. Those menus using that kind of iconography were still in use in the seventies. Right. I think this is what, this is what we as educators sometimes are trying to say to the broader society. It hasn't been that long Mm. since things for everyone other than uh, white Americans of a particular ethnicity had it unbelievably rough in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not that long, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, some and and regionally, right? Somebody sure. was just telling me, I'm going to get this the details on this wrong, but basically they were, they were just saying that you go to the south and there was this restaurant called Sambo's. Sure. Right, and it was. I mean, I maybe it's been recently renamed, but it's out of business. It's out of business. Okay, but definitely way past the seventies. Jennifer, <laughs> I went to a Sambo's restaurant in Massachusetts. Whoa! In 1983, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As they were trying to save the brand. They changed it to No Place Like Sam's. Oh, okay. But but it it had other problems, yeah. right? But yeah, Sambo's was a was a going concern into the eighties. Well, just like you're talking about menu design, decor, all right. those other things. Right, right. That are problematic. Um, right, right, and they're all they're all the the primary sources of the historian. Yeah. Right? You know, the um, uh, I, I can remember last year or two years ago now when when Aunt Jemima. Yes. You know, co- corporation changed its name back to the Pearl Milling Company. Right. I'm seeing people on Facebook. Ah, what's next? Right. I'm like. Companies change the name all the time. This company was called Pearl Milling Company for decades before it was called Aunt Jemima. And people are on all sorts of, you know, uh, all, all sorts of different perspectives about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, you know, stadiums get renamed all the time. Right. right. The Staples Center, I don't even know what it's called anymore. I never know where I'm going to a concert anymore because it's I don't recognize the name of the place. <laughs> Don't even get me going, right? Um, oh, we, that'll be a subject for a whole other podcast. That's we'll right. Complain that's right. about name changing rights. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Season four is our Jennifer and I. We'll have thirty minutes of complaining once a week, like Andy Rooney on sixty Minutes, right? <laughs> Do you ever think about when? That was my favorite part of sixty Minutes. Totally. As a totally. kid, Andy Rooney. God bless. Oh what a crank. Oh my gosh. You okay, were telling so, me, sorry, we're both trying to get it back on track, but you were telling me about this book um, that you have there. Yeah. With Tell me uh, with little oh, um, short. So, so it's, called, it. it's called 400 Souls. I'm going to be using it with one of my students who I'm doing American history with. Basically, it was commissioned by Ibram X. Kendi, who you're going to talk a little bit about, and Keisha N. Blaine who are uh, historians and professors. Kendi is at BU, Keisha Blaine is at Pitt. And it's essentially 90 vignettes, stories that are about African America from 1619 to 2019. And what's great about this book is all of these vignettes are three, four, five pages long. Mm. And so, you know, if you're, you know, you're the historian of the 20th century and you're interested in bringing a black voice into the conversation in some, uh, you know, in some way, um, you know, I just opened this at random 
right, to something called the Combahee River Collective, 1974 to 1979. And it's looking at uh, Black responses to the busing crisis in Boston in the mid-1970s. And I grew up in the South Shore of Massachusetts during this time. I remember uh, what a what a madhouse it was. And I don't, I don't know anything about this organization. So, you know, if I'm teaching in that context, I might give students these four or five pages to say, well, you know, how does this, you know, how does this help you to, uh, uh, you know, to put this into a context, right? Um, And it sounds like, like, as soon as you said busing, of course, I'm thinking of, the South and, um, you know, the, um, the, the protests and, you know, cities, yeah, the, things, right, right, all that. right, that they led that like the words that I'm trying to find to describe this are leaving me right now. But, you know, that's immediately when you said busing, I'm thinking of that. So did it, as soon as you said it was in Boston, I immediately went, what? And then the seventies, what are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. Um, so it's, of course, every textbook, is gonna talk about the civil rights movement and the move to integrate buses and the protests that the people did around that. That's in all of your all of your published textbooks. But what's yeah. not in there is what you just talked about right there. Right, John. right. Um, everyone talks about Brown versus the Board of Education. But if you want to create schools that are racially integrated, and you don't have neighborhoods that are racially integrated. How are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. And in Boston, the solution was what was called busing, mm-hmm. where, where the schools became mm-hmm. racially desegregated, but it required different people to have to travel long distance by bus to their new school, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, as we know. Anytime you try to break up a neighborhood school kind of concept, mm-hmm. it makes people crazy, right? Um, so it was, it was very controversial in Boston. Went on for for decades. Did you listen to that yeah. podcast that I think is called "Nice White Parents"? Something like that. Do you oh, know no, that? I haven't listened to it yet. Oh no. my gosh! So there's one. It just one little piece in there where they're talking about. that same thing that was happening in New York and um, one of the moms is saying she lives in the projects, what they described as the projects. And there was a neighborhood school across the street from the projects, but they're trying to integrate and, and give students (laughs) access to what they considered better schools and so these kids had to get on a bus for an hour to get to this other school where where their friends weren't there and you know just all the many problems and it's it is it's so so like what we do when we try and solve a problem the wrong way. Yeah, or or maybe it wasn't the wrong way, right? I mean, you know, it remains it remains an issue that that is it remains in the realm of interpretation, right? What else are we going to do? We're still like, we're still not, haven't figured out a way 
to provide the resources to the schools that need those yes. resources yes. and be able to attract the quality educators and the diverse. I think this is a problem for everybody, whether your school is in a predominantly black neighborhood or a predominantly white neighborhood or fairly well, fairly well mixed. Right. You're it still the majority of teachers are white women. <clears throat> Right. I mean, the largest group of teachers, particularly at elementary school, are going to yeah. be white women. Yeah. So that, you know, that's that was something I was talking with my PTSA about a little bit is that, that that's probably another topic for a whole nother episode is just, you know, diversifying. How do you how Staff. do you do that? You're hiring yeah. Yeah, yeah, hiring practices. How do you do that? It just is tough. I'm I'm looking at those kind of things in a city where I'm like Burbank, where it's so expensive to live in Burbank. Right. If you're just a teacher in Burbank, you cannot afford to live in Burbank. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that it, it, it makes it really, the applicants aren't there. The applicants that you want to diversify your school just aren't there. They can't afford to live in the city. And so they want to live in the neighborhood sometimes where they teach. But I'm getting off track. I wanted to mention you brought up Ibram X. Ibram X. Kendi. Yep. Yes. Who also wrote Stamped from the Beginning. Amazing book. Very dense, though. Super dense. Really hard. Super dense. I I have to admit, I never finished it because I found this book called Stamped, and it's 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 colloquially called Stamped a Remix or the Remix. Uh, because it is written by Jason Reynolds, who's a young adult fiction author. Okay. And he writes primarily uh, books with a main character who's an, uh, a black boy from that perspective. So he took Ibram's work, Stamped from yeah. the Beginning, and wrote it, took the content, but wrote it for basically a young adult audience. So I'm going to, I'll just tell you how it starts to give you an example of the voice. It's chapter one is the story of the world's first racist. And he says, before we begin, let's get something straight. This is not a history book. I repeat, this is not a history book, at least not like the ones used to reading in school. So that's kind of, you know, right there, you see from the beginning, it's written in this voice. He talks to the reader uh, throughout the book. And it's really, I think written for, I would say seventh, eighth grade, definitely high school. Um, it's really accessible to young adults and for old adults like us who want the content and, um, keep falling asleep every time we start reading. You know, like, like I said to folks, I I did a couple of stamped from the beginning reading groups a couple of years back. Right. And, you know, I have a master's degree in history and that book was rough. It's, it's, it's great. Okay. But it is a piece of scholarship and you have to take it slow and think because he is doing some work in that book. Right. Mm -hmm. So anything that you can do to make it more accessible Mm -hmm. is a good thing. You could never teach that book below maybe the 11th grade. And even then, you'd need some really committed students because it's really hard. 
sandwich from the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it reminds me a little bit of um, A People's History by Robert Zinn, right? How he, that was like yeah. the first book that started this movement of yeah. telling other people's stories and letting yeah. the, letting people tell their own stories. So it's so interesting to me that that, that came out in the 80s and that has now become a, uh, a book mainstream. that you find in, in high school curriculum. Like you yeah. said, 11th, 12th grade, college curriculum. Yeah. 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 It's almost mainstream. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's another great book, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So what, what other, did you have another book? Well, I wanted to also just say that there's a few books that I've picked up to help myself as a principal. Mm-hmm. And also I think are great for teachers as they wanna just explore, how do I have these conversations about race in my right. classroom with right. kids for parents who are like, how do I talk about this with my own children, particularly white parents, let's be honest, who wanna know. So there is this great book that's called Let's Talk Race, A Guide for White People. Okay. And it's, it's by Fern Johnson and Marlene Fine. That's a good one. And then there's also um, a book called So You Want to Talk About Race. And it's by, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to say this name correctly. Ijeoma Oluo. You got it. Yeah. So You you Want to Talk About Race is excellent. Thank you for saving me from that one. That's right. So both of those are fantastic. There's a ton of books out there right now that are really um, guides for us on how to have these conversations. Yep. And I think as school leaders, we've got to read these, right? The first, you know, the first, I don't want to say movement, but you know, my superintendent gave us all white fragility like a year ago that we gave all the principals white fragility and we we're supposed to read it. And some of us were kind of looking at one another and going, yeah, I already read this. <laughs> I read this when it came out. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so, this is, I feel like once you've, those books, White Fragility are kind of about changing your mindset and yeah. realizing this work needs to happen. So right. if you're already there, the next step I think yeah. is here's just some guides and some how to's and, and, um, you know, best practices. Yeah. Yeah. The Aluo book is great because it, it takes, um, you know, provocative questions mm-hmm. and she just, writes it very directly, right? Uh, You know, here is is the experience of people who are not like you. And you're going to find these things maybe uncomfortable. That's on you, right? Mm -hmm. Here's Here's why we're so angry, right? Here are things that happened to us that never happened to you, right? That's what your privilege is. Yeah. Right. These are things that happen to us and they don't happen to you. So, yeah, it's a great book. Did a book group on that. I run a brand a book group on that with a, with actually with Aaron McNellis, actually, um, oh, uh-huh. for, for, for colleagues at my former school. It was, it was great. Yeah. It was actually one of the first book groups, the first book group, now that I think about it, that had members who were, students, faculty, staff, and administration. It had everyone in it, right? Fascinating. 
Yeah. So the work, you know, look, this work is work that's going to go on. And, you know, you read these four books that we've given you and the work is still going to go on. Yeah. 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 You know, but we hope that, that, um, that throughout the season, you've had enough exposure to different lenses that as you, you know, continue your work as a, as an administrator or a teacher or a parent or student that, that you feel more confident about navigating the, the, you know, the choppy waters than you might otherwise. And that's the goal. And I think I just want to circle back to, I think it was two episodes ago where we started talking a little bit more about, there are also great television shows and oh, yeah. th- right. Things like that. And I got to give a plug for um, reservation dogs. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, okay. So it's just, it's set on a native American reservation, but it's just these four kids and it's their day-to-day life. And it just gives you a whole different perspective. I mean, I don't think I've ever been on a reservation and it is not what I expected at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm not, I'm not going to say any more than that, except that it's, it's really about these four kids who are great, love them. And the more you watch, the further you get into it, they start, you know, you meet more characters, peripheral characters. Right. I'll tell you one little example. One of, one of the kids has to go to the health clinic and sitting outside of the health clinic is the Native American medicine man with his folding table with his Native American cures, like don't go in there with the Western medicine, but he's not really protesting. They all just accept that the medicine man is gonna be sitting outside of the clinic. So you can try going to him or you can try going in the clinic and it's just a given. Like there's, it's not a big, it's not like, oh, what should we do? What do we do? It's like, oh yeah. Cause they said, I think they set up right next to him to sell something that they've made. Oh, I see. It's just this great, so just a part of their culture. And that's what I really liked about it is you really are, you identify so much more with, with the kids because really they're experiencing the same thing that all kids are experiencing. Right. And there's just these little tweaks, these little things about their culture that are different than my own. Right. That were so fun to learn about and see illustrated in this, in that show. It's yeah, on I've heard Hulu, it was amazing. Right. I think it's on Hulu. So there's, I, there's, I think I binge watched it in maybe a weekend or two. There might, I think there might be two seasons, but nice. I, I enjoyed that. And there's just so much great content out there right now. If you want to get immersed in a different culture and you're open to that, there's so many things that you can read and watch and listen to. Totally. Podcasts galore. We really tried to take a different approach to this season and not just be all about how to be more diverse, how to, you know, the how to's. We wanted to have this narrow focus of, of bringing in examples of literature and talking about different literature and how some of it's progressed um, to represent all these different kinds of cultures and gender and identity and 
all right. these things. So, right. but I know that, that as soon as you start to take that approach in, in your classrooms, you may need some support. And, and right. we wanted to give you a few examples. And also, um, like I said, jump on some other podcasts. I'll tell you one where I, there's a number of really great episodes scattered throughout, and that's The Cult of Pedagogy. Yeah, Cult of Pedagogy is good. By Jennifer Gonzalez. She has a number of great podcast episodes that are kind of on this topic of how do I talk about race? How do I, what, what do I need to do to have a more <clears throat> culturally relevant and sensitive classroom? So full stop. Point you over there too. Right. Uh, so Jennifer, I think that brings us to a conclusion of season three. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Jennifer and I are going to take a couple of weeks to regroup and then we've got some ideas for season four that we're noodling around and you should expect to hear from us back again on this feed shortly. Yeah, it's a new year. We gotta we gotta start getting some more content out there, John. Yep. Getting ready to go. That sounds good. All right, folks. Thanks for listening, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again when we get to season four. Bye. Bye.